The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. As uh, as Rick mentioned in the uh, in the the pastoral prayer, the trainer family's been hit with with something, <laughs> and so it hit Tab yesterday. So after giving him a call yesterday afternoon, it just seemed best to say, Tab, you need to not come to church and stay home. So um, so you get me. Sorry about that. But um, yeah, this, this morning here, we are continuing our series, Gifts for Our Anxious Age. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 5. Got your Bibles, open up in your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, we do have a, a number of them on the back table. Feel free to grab one of those, take it home with you as our gift to you. Um, but we're continuing here our series, Gifts for Our Anxious Age. Uh, during the season of Advent here, Christians have long observed the season of Advent um, by celebrating the gifts that Christ brings into our lives, the, the gifts of peace, joy, hope, and love. And today we're going to be looking at the gift of joy. So in just a moment, Mindy's going to read our passage, Romans 5, 1 through 11. But before she does, let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us and help us because that's what we need. So let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would meet us this morning. Father, even as, as we ask, we, we know and we are grateful for the fact that you desire to meet us through your preached word. Lord, you tell us that your word does not return void, Lord. You, you send your word out among us, and it always accomplishes its purpose. And so this morning, we just ask that you would, Lord, give us the, the faith to believe the words that we hear in your word. Lord, give us the grace that we need to live in the good of them. Lord, open our ears, open our eyes, help us to hear from you, knowing that you desire to speak to us, to meet us in the reading and preaching of your word. So do those things we ask you this morning. Amen. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are, all, are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. The, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mindy. Well, in 2018... 
1,200 Yale University students, almost one quarter of the undergraduate student body, enrolled in a course titled Psychology and the Good Life. So this was a course on personal happiness. This course here, Psychology and the Good Life, was the most popular course in the history of Yale University. So popular, in fact, that the course has not been offered again because of its massive enrollment, just had ripple effects, just messing up everyone else's schedules and everything that was going on. In 2018 as well, a similar course at Harvard drew 900 students and was said to be the most popular course in the history of Harvard University as well. As we hear this, I think the invitation to us is to ask, why would these accomplished students flock to a course on personal happiness? Well, I think one student said it best when responding. She says, in reality, She says, a lot of us are anxious, stressed, unhappy, numb. The fact that a class like this has such a large interest speaks to how tired students are of numbing their emotions so they can focus on their work, the next step, the next accomplishment. Now, I recognize that that happiness is often different from what the Bible describes as joy. When when we speak of happiness, we often think of of happiness that's rooted in our circumstances. But but when we talk about joy, when we think about joy, joy is something that's deeper than that. It transcends our circumstances. I get that. But as we think about joy, as we think about joy beyond circumstances, isn't that exactly what these students were longing for, what they were hoping for? Getting into the university of their dreams just didn't satisfy, and they wanted to know what might. And brothers and sisters, that's what you and I need to know as well. We need to know this morning what will truly satisfy, what will bring us the joy and the satisfaction that we most long Can't you relate with the experience of of Alyssa that she mentions here, of being anxious, stressed, unhappy, and numb? So often we can just numb our emotions. We can distract ourselves from the anxiety and the stress and the unhappiness of our life, whether that's through work, whether that's through the next step or the next accomplishment. The truth is that we are all looking for something. We are looking for anything that will bring us joy and satisfaction. I just love C.S. Lewis talking about this pursuit of joy. He says that it is the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. This pursuit of joy is the secret that we cannot hide and we cannot tell, though we desire to do both. I think for you and me here, we, we, look, we look for joy in our appearance, in the money in our bank account, in our relationships with one another, whether that's in our friend group, in our spouse, in our kids. We look for joy or satisfaction in our health. You fill in the blank. But no matter where we look for it, somehow nothing delivers as advertised. And yet Christmas, Advent comes, with some, comes to us with something that can. It, Advent comes to us bringing us something that does provide true and lasting joy. 
You see, the incarnation, God the Son taking on human flesh, holds out the joy and the satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else. And that's what I want to see with you in our passage this morning in Romans chapter 5. Specifically in our passage this morning, we are going to see that the joy, that joyful confidence is ours. We can have true and lasting joy as we see what God promises us in Jesus, the one who was born at Christmas. This morning, I want us to see joy that is ours right here, right now, because of, joy, because of Jesus. And we're gonna see that in three ways. First, we can have joy, we can have a joyful confidence in our guaranteed glory. Look with me in verses one and two. The apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The word here in verse two, rejoice. This isn't, this isn't an imperative. This isn't a command to us. We're not being commanded to rejoice here, but, but it's an indicative. It's, a, it's telling us what is. It's a, it's a statement of reality. It is a statement of what is true for the Christian, that those who have been justified by faith, those who have been declared righteous by Christ, that we rejoice. This is, this is a statement of reality, that we rejoice in the hope of glory. As we look in the New Testament, as we look in Scripture, we do see that joy is commanded in other places. In 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, we also see that joy is a work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5 and Romans chapter 14. Um, but I'm not going to be talking about either of those aspects of joy. What I'm going to be focused on is what this passage has to say about our joy, about our rejoicing. Well, the problem here as we look at our passage in Romans 5 is that instead of translating the word rejoice, many translations, perhaps even your translation this morning, might say the word boast. As the Greek word for rejoice here, it has that range of meaning. It can certainly mean the word boast. As New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner says, there's a, a thin line between boasting and rejoicing in this passage but I like what, how Douglas Moo, again, another uh, New Testament scholar here, what, what he writes about this boasting is he, he says that, that when Paul writes about rejoicing here or boasting, what he's really talking about is us having a joyful confidence. Paul here in this passage is describing a joyful confidence that we can have. We see it in verse two, in verse three, in verse 11. This passage here, it gives us the reasons that we have to have this joyful confidence. Our passage here, it shows us the joy-filled grounds upon which you and I can boast, you might say. So in verse two, the, the first reason that we're giving for our rejoicing, for our joyful confidence is, for, is the hope of the glory of God. But as we read this here, we need to ask, what, what is that? What is, what is Paul talking about here where he says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? 
Well, Romans 5 here is the, is the start of a unit that goes all the way through Romans chapter 8. And here, Paul, Paul kind of drops this phrase in the hope of the glory of God, but he doesn't really unpack it. He, he, he waits until Romans chapter 8 to unpack what this means for us. And we see in a number of verses in Romans chapter 8 of what this hope in the glory of God is. We see it in verses like Romans 8, 17, where Paul writes, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This hope of glory that we rejoice in is the hope of being glorified with Christ when he returns. But not only us, because we see in Romans 8, chapter 21, or sorry, Romans 8, verse 21, we see that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We, we hope in the glory of God. It's the hope that all things will one day be made new. It's the hope of the new heavens and the new earth, the day as Lindsay highlighted for us this morning, where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no pain anymore. The darkness will be gone. This is the hope of the glory of God that is meant to cause our hearts to rejoice as we look forward to this day where there will be no more cancer diagnosis, no more failing bodies. There will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness. There will be no more death. Brothers and sisters, this is meant to cause us to rejoice. This is what, what Advent is meant to cause our hearts to look forward to and to long to as you and I sit here as the light has come into the darkness, but the darkness is still here and we can come in between the Advents as we look back to the first coming of Christ where the light came, but we look forward in hope to the second coming of Christ where he will come, when the light will completely dispel the new darkness, the light will fully be here and you and I will be in the presence of Christ. Christ, our older brother, there will be no more weeping, no more sadness, no more pain. Why do we rejoice right now? Because we look forward to and we long for that guaranteed glory that you and I will experience. This is a guaranteed glory we have as we look back to the incarnation when Christ first came, when we look back to the cross, as we look to the resurrection, and we know with absolute certainty that he will come again. And brothers and sisters, no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are going through right now, we can rejoice. We can be filled with joy. We can have this joyful confidence knowing that one day we will be glorified. We will be with Christ. This hope of, of the glory of God is what we sing about in the, in the hymn, Joy to the World, where we sing, no more let sins or sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is the hope of the glory of God that you and I have the privilege of rejoicing in right now. And all of that is future in this passage. And this passage here in Romans 5 is calling us to have a vision of this glorious, beautiful future that is meant to shape our interpretation of our present. 
This is where the the joyful confidence comes. This is the gift of joy that God gives to us right here, right now, no matter what we are facing in our lives, because we know that that future day is able and it can shape the way that you and I live our lives, the way we experience our day-to-day reality right here, right now. Because as we look forward in hope, we know, as we look forward in hope, that is meant to shade and to color our interpretation of how we look at our experiences right now. And I think this reality here highlights a struggle for, for all of us in between this, in, in the in-between times, as we live in the world where, where there's light and darkness, where we live in our anxious age, we, we all struggle with losing our joy as we focus only on our present. You see, there's a very real struggle for for all of us as we live in our anxious age right now of losing our joy when we we suffer from what Paul Tripp calls presentism, where we we live with a, a short view of life. We live only in the right here, right now, rather than having this long-term vision of this hope of glory that is ours in Christ. I think this, this morning, can, can, can you relate? Are you suffering from a cause of presentism this morning? Just, just think about the areas of your life where, where joy seems hard, where we read in this passage that we're, we're called to rejoice and you just think, that's silly. There's, there is no way that I can rejoice right now. Whatever that area of life is for you, I just would ask you to consider, is it, is it possible that you're operating out of presentism, only focusing on the right here, right now, rather than having this long-term hope of glory in mind? Sisters and brothers, God does not want this for us. He doesn't want us focusing only on the present. And so in his kindness, in his love to you and I, he gives us passages like Romans 5, 2, where he's calling us and he's reminding us that we are a pilgrim people, that we are sojourning here. We are heading somewhere. We are heading somewhere much, much better than life right now as we look forward to a renewed heavens and, we, and a renewed earth. And we need this future hope of God's glory shaping us today. And so think of this hope of the glory of God. Think of the, the presence, the, think of the promises in Romans chapter eight functioning. Think of them as this filter that can change and shape the way you see your present reality. Think of them as a pair of goggles or lenses through which you can look at your present circumstances, allowing this future hope to shape what you are looking at now. They remind you that what the struggles you're facing right now, the challenges that you are facing right now will not be forever. They were not the way that it's meant to be and they are not the way that it will be in eternity future when we experience the hope of the glory of God. When being with Christ, we will see him face to face. And as the point says, it's a guaranteed glory because of what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus' first coming here gives us absolute confidence that he will come again. And so we can have this joyful confidence now as we look to and as we long for this future hope.
So that's the, that's the first reason as we live in our anxious age, as we live struggling with numbing our emotions in the midst of just all the pain and difficulties of life, that God is holding out the gift of joy to you and I. We can have joy because of the promise of guaranteed glory that is awaiting you and me this morning. There's a second reason in our passage. This passage here shows us that we can have a joyful confidence in our purposeful suffering. The apostle here, here thinks of a glorious future. His, his, his mind snaps back to reality, to the reality around him, to the reality around us. And we see in verse three that he writes, not only that, not only do we rejoice in this hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This isn't we rejoice or we boast despite our suffering, but this is literally, we rejoice in our suffering. I mean, this sounds insane, right? As we experience suffering, as we experience sickness and pain, as we live in a world where things are not the way they're meant to be, you're calling us here, you're saying that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. That just doesn't make sense until we keep reading where the apostle explains, we rejoice in our sufferings, why? Knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We, re, we rejoice in our sufferings. As Paul writes this, he's not saying this to minimize the hard things in our lives. Far from it. Paul was a man who was acquainted with suffering in ways that very few of us will experience in this life. But he was able to rejoice in his suffering because he knew something else about suffering. He knew that for the Christian our suffering produces something. Our suffering, it brings about something. As we read in verse four, our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, hope of that certain future that we have in Jesus. You see, you see we are all like spiritual marathon runners, our ability to, to endure the long race that we call life, it comes from enduring hard things along the way. Think of anyone who's ever trained for a race knows exactly what I'm talking about, whether it's running uphill, running your speed repeats, training in whatever weather there is, all of that adversity you face in the training, it makes you a stronger runner. And the same is true for our souls. The suffering, the trials, the affliction that we face in this life, they are strengthening our souls. They are building us up. They are, as Paul says in verse four, they are producing character, endurance, and hope. I just think as we, we prayed for, for Jeff Richards earlier, I just... I just think of him, my mind, as I think of suffering, it just instantly goes to, to, to Jeff's testimony here, where just on numerous occasions, he has just shared all about the God has been, all that God has been producing, all that God has been accomplishing through him and in him in his battle with cancer. 
Now, I don't have categories for what Jeff and Jane are going through. I, I don't. But I am just so encouraged by his testimony as I look at his life and the lives of many others, and I just see the truth that our sufferings really do produce good things in our lives as we see that they come from and they are in the hands of a good and loving God. As we think through the idea of suffering here, I think it's important for us to know and hopefully encouraging for all of us that the word the Apostle Paul uses for sufferings here is really not talking about the extreme sufferings that we are tempted to think about, but the word that he uses here is a very general and broad term. I think it speaks to and it talks about the trials and the pressures that all of us face that all of us face on the pathway of discipleship. This is speaking to the, the struggles, to the troubles, the afflictions that you and I face in a Genesis 3 world. And I think as we, we think about the, this reality of rejoicing in our sufferings, I think that that highlights another struggle that we all face, a, a struggle to, to lose joy as we, as, we've, as we are tempted to lose joy when we think that our trials have no purpose in them. As we, we look at life and as we hear Paul saying, rejoice in sufferings, we look at that and we think, there's no way that I can rejoice in sufferings. And we, we are tempted to think that way. We are tempted to, to mock and to laugh at Paul talking about having joy in the midst of our sufferings. And, and we're tempted in that way. We're tempted to, to allow suffering to steal our joy when we think that they have no purpose, when we forget that they're not producing, that they're not achieving anything in our lives. I think it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the, the, the great pastor, he, uh, he writes of being a pastor and drudgingly one day making a list of everything he had to get done before he, he and his family were able to, to go away on a vacation. Writing out his list, he needs to go to the post office. He needs to, to make a number of pastoral phone calls. He needs to, to visit, a, visit a, a member in the hospital. And he's just drudgingly writing out his to-do list. And when he has finally visited that member in the church, he's, he's crossed off everything on his list that he needs to do. He, Eugene Peterson, he talks about how he, he threw his list away in disgust in the trash as he started his vacation. And then Peterson, he talks about a dream that he had as he began his vacation. In this dream, he dreamed of a book called Lists. At the time, it was a, in his mind, in this dream, it was a number one bestseller. And in the dream, Peterson, he, he goes out and buys a, buys a copy of this book. He opens it and he sees that it's just a bunch of lists. It's a grocery list, a laundry list, a list of things to buy, a list of bills to pay, just everyday, ordinary stuff. And Peterson writes about when he woke up, he realized that the list of ordinary, that the ordinary things of life that he was despising, the, the normal common things of life, the things that he was despising, those were the very places where God was at work in his life, where God was at work in all of our lives. When Peter, what Peterson saw about his ministry of seeing God at work in the normal, common things of our lives is exactly what you and I need to see about our own lives. 
that in the list of the seemingly mundane things of life, the going to the grocery store, making the beds, cooking supper, doing everything that needs to get done, the list of the everyday but challenging stuff, that is where God is at work. It's in the list of the the regular trials, the regular challenges, the, the regular difficulties. Right there is where God is at work in your life and where he's at work in my life in the regular but challenging situation at work, in the regular but challenging situation at school. Think of the regular but challenging process of aging, the regular and challenging relational difficulties that you have. Think of the regular but challenging things that get you down. It's in the midst in each and every one of those that God is at work in your life, producing endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. God is at work in the the dull bits of our life. I think famously Alfred Hitchcock talked about movies as being about ordinary life with the dull bits cut out. But I think the invitation for you and I as we read Romans 5 here is to see that the dull bits of our lives, the dull bits that you and I would just rather do away with, the challenges and the difficulties, the seemingly mundane things, those are exactly where God is at work in our life. And they are exactly the things that can fill us with joy as we see God at work in them. And so we can right now experience joy in whatever we're facing, because we see it and we know that God is at work through them. He is up to something good in the midst of the suffering and the trials and the troubles that we face. That we face. He's bringing about endurance, the strength to keep going. He's bringing about character as he is forming and shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus and he's strengthening our hope. He is building our confidence and our longing in the glory in Christ ahead. This is a promise that you and I can cling to in the midst of the difficulties of life right now. We can can cling to this promise that God is at work in the great and the small things of our life. They are all purposeful. He is at work in them. And so as we live life in our anxious age, we can rejoice in it because we know that God is up to something good. Brothers and sisters, let's rejoice. So that's our second reason, joyful confidence in our anxious age is that we have purposeful suffering. But lastly, and perhaps most importantly, we see that in the midst of our anxious age, we can have a joyful confidence in our reconciling Savior. We haven't said hardly anything about Christmas yet, but the the good news of Jesus, the God-man born to live, die, and rise in our place is the background of all of our joyful confidence here. Everything that we've talked about, the, the guaranteed glory that you and I have, the reality that all our suffering is purposeful, the confidence that we have, the background of all of that is the fact that Christ is our reconciling savior. And this is clear as Paul continues in verses six through 11, just highlighting this verse, see the reconciling work of our savior. In verse six, God tells us that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse eight, we see that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse nine, 
We read, we shall be saved by him, by Christ, from the wrath of God. In verse, 10, in verse 10, God tells us, for if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. All of that reconciling work of Christ leading up to verse 11, where we read more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see here the, the ultimate ground of our joyful confidence? It's in the God-man, Christ, coming down to earth in the incarnation, what we celebrate here at Christmas, dying for you and for me, the ungodly. Our joyful confidence comes as we see God's love for us sinners in Christ's atoning death. Our joyful confidence comes as we see that God's wrath no longer remains against us, but once and for all was dealt with on the cross as Christ died on the cross, bearing the wrath that you and I deserved. We see the ground of our joyful confidence in God making us, those who were once his enemies, his beloved children. We are his beloved sons and daughters because of what Christ has done at Christmas. He has reconciled our ruptured relationship with him, drawing us back into relationship with him. And so we can rejoice. We have great reasons to rejoice because he has drawn us to himself. He has repaired the ruptured relationship for us. We can rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have now received reconciliation. And I think this reality here in verse 11, I think it speaks to the biggest struggle for you and for me in our anxious age, the biggest struggle in the fight for joy is that we are all tempted to lose our joy when we forget this good news. We are all tempted to, to lose our joy when we forget the ultimate grounds of our joyful confidence is what Christ accomplished in his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection for you and for me, for all who have trusted in him. You see, life in this fallen world, it's just the Think about this idea of remembering. My mind is, is always drawn to this great quote in, in, in Cormac McCarthy's The Road where the little boy talks to his father about, about remembering things and the dad just says to his son about, he says to him that we remember what we wish we could forget and we forget what we wish we could remember. And as I think about living life in our anxious age, I think that is such a live temptation for us is to forget what we wish we could remember. And that is the ground of our confidence, the, ground of the, the grounds of our joy that you and I can have right now, whatever we're experiencing in our life because of what Christ has done. You see, when we forget the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, we lose our joyful confidence that must be rooted in what Christ and what God has done for us in Christ there and there alone. As C.S. Lewis has written, he said, human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him, that, which will make him happy. 
And as we saw last week, our search for joy, our search for peace, our search for happiness anywhere other than God is, is, is a foolish search. It is impossible. We cannot find joy. We cannot find happiness apart from Christ because it doesn't exist. As C.S. Lewis said, it's just not there. And so as we, as we look at this passage here, we see that um, we see that we are true joy is found only by looking to Christ, by remembering the reconciling work that he has done for you and for me on the cross as he, as he reconciled us to him. And so the passage, the call for, for you and me this morning is not to look elsewhere. It's not to, to look to the most popular course at the history of, of Harvard or Yale to try to find happiness or joy. That's not where we're going to find it. We don't want to look anywhere else other than Christ because it's just not there. We will not find or be able to experience this joy. So this morning, I just want to, to encourage you to consider where where might you be, be numbing your emotions where it comes to experiencing joy? What are the things that you are, are looking to to find joy right now? Is it in your accumulation, your wealth, your status? Is it in your health, your, your family relationships? Is it in your parenting? What are you looking for to find joy and satisfaction? I think as we look at Romans 5, 1 through 11, particularly here as we look at Romans 5, 11, God's invitation to you and to me this morning is to look no further than Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised for you and for me, reconciling us to him once and forever. Because the truth is that true joyful confidence is found outside of us. It's found in the one through whom we have received reconciliation. We don't want to be apathetic towards this good news. We don't want to forget this good news, but we want to remember this good news. We want to remember, we want to rejoice and celebrate in this good news of what Christ has done for you and for me. And so I want, what I want to do as we close is what any pastor should do, and that is preach the good news to your soul and mine. And I want to do so through the words of another pastor, a pastor named R.G. Lee. Listen to how he describes this reconciling work in light of the wonder of Christmas. Listen to how he describes the cross of Christ in light of the birth of Christ. And as we, as we hear these words, let us think about the joy that is offered to you and me in Christ. Pastor Lee writes, the ancient of days became the infant of days. From the heights of glory, to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory pace, place to the gory pace. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty. No room for him who made all rooms, 
no place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, the deep humiliation of the creator. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. No wonder the angels said to the shepherds that first Christmas night, I bring you good news of great joy. That's what what Christmas does for you and for me, brothers and sisters. We can rejoice because we have been reconciled. We can have great joy right here, right now, because Jesus came to us to do what we could not do for ourselves. So this morning, I just want to invite you to to consider this joy. Think of kids, teenagers, our guests who are here this morning. You You know this, you can come to know this joyful confidence by coming to Jesus believing. We come to Christ saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's how joyful confidence begins in each and every one of our lives. If you're here this morning longing for true and lasting joy, look to Christ, trust in him, trust in what he has done in his life, death, or resurrection, and experience great joy. Oh, and brothers and sisters, our joyful confidence continues as we savor Christ and these promises above all else, as we look to time and time again, even especially in this Advent season, as we look to the reality of the incarnation, the supreme joy and wonder that are ours because of the incarnation and all that comes and all that follows it. This is the gift of joy that we can experience at Christmas, that we can experience because of the one born at Christmas. This joy comes to us as we see God's promises to us in Jesus, the promise of guaranteed glory, the promise of purposeful suffering, and the promise, and all of these promises, because of our reconciling Savior. We, I need this joy. I think this Christmas season, you could use this joy And so why don't you join me in praying now for the Spirit's power that we might see and rejoice in what God has done for us. And afterwards, we will take the Lord's Supper. So pray with me. Oh, Father in in heaven, we we thank you you that you have come to us to bring us joy. You have have come to us in your incarnation and all that would follow. You have done all of that that we might rejoice. No No matter what we are facing, and in fact, even in light of, because of the hard things in life, because of the stress, the anxiety, the worry, in the midst of all of those, because of their presence in our lives, we can rejoice as we look to Jesus and we can see and we can know that that is not the end of our story, but there is glory to come as we will see you become like you and we will be with you forever. Lord, in the midst of our anxious age, we know that you are at midst in the hard things, the difficulties of life, and so we can rejoice. And most importantly, as we look to Christ, as we look to the cross, we can rejoice 
because of what you have done for us in drawing us near, in inviting us to come closer, to be with you, to be in relationship with you. And so this morning, we, we, we say thank you. We say thank you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts with joy. You are the one who is pleased to do that in our hearts. And so we ask you to do that. Fill us with joy that we might be built up. Meet us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.